All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about what could be the, uh, the real end to the conflict in Syria. And that would be a meeting between Turkish President Erdogan and Syrian leader Assad. And uh, Erdogan wants this meeting. He really wants this meeting. It's actually been Assad, I'm sure, with consultation and support of the Russians. That is not saying no, but they're holding it back a little bit, it seems. It seems like they're not quite at that stage yet to, uh, to meet with Erdogan. Um, it was Turkey way back in 2000. When was it? 2010? Yeah. Or was it later? 2015? 2011, wasn't it? 2011, 2012. 2011, yeah. I'm trying, to, yeah. I'm trying to, to, to get my timelines correct. I'm thinking Ukraine, I'm thinking Syria. 2011 is when everything really started to bubble up in, uh, in Syria. And Turkey played a, played, played a big role in uh, going against Assad. And it's taken uh, the, the government in Damascus, and it's taken the Russians as well, a long time to get to this point working with Turkey. Absolutely. We've seen we've seen a plane shot down by the Turkish military in 2000 when was that 17 2015 yeah. we've we've gone through a coup 2015 <laughs> we've gone through a coup in Turkey an attempted coup I mean we've gone through um, through through a migrant crisis in Europe in 2015 uh, we've got an enclave uh, which uh, which the Turks are are holding on to as well. We've got the Kurd situation. I mean, we've been through a whole lot, but we're finally at that finish line where we might get to this meeting between uh, Erdogan and Assad. This is huge news. It is absolutely huge news. And of course, the important thing is that, as you correctly say, it's, the, it's Erdogan who is now publicly calling for it. I mean, he used to refer to... Assad as a butcher or somebody he would never sit down and speak to. He is now repeatedly, but publicly, coming out and say that he wants to meet with Assad. And he, his latest um, call for this, which is apparently he, he communicated the fact that he wanted this meeting with Assad to Putin over the course of a summit meeting that he had in Turkmenistan, at which the Azerbaijanian leader, Ilham Aliyev, was also present, an ally of Erdogan's. Anyway, um, Erdogan apparently sent a message to Putin whilst he was in Turkmenistan, in Akshapad, the capital, that he wanted this meeting with Assad. Putin came back and said that he wanted a meeting to take place between Erdogan and Assad. He also, uh, Putin also agreed to Erdogan's suggestion that all three of them should meet together. And Erdogan has now come out and he said that it isn't, shouldn't, shouldn't just be those three, there should be the defence people, the intelligence people, in other words, that this should be a massive so a series of summit meetings all intended to come to some kind of global reconciliation between Turkey and Syria. And as you rightly say, Assad has been knowing about this for a while. He's been stringing at, at Erdogan along, and he's got every incentive and reason to, because, of course, the longer it takes for this meeting to take place, the longer, in a way, the, the more cards Assad, in a sense, has to play, and, of course, the more concessions he's able to extract from Assad, from, sorry, from Erdogan along the way. Let's just go over the history. So before 2011, um, 
Erdogan and Assad were friends. The two countries seem to be allies. 2011, we start to see protests in Syria. I'm not going to get into a discussion about how those started, by the way. I think we can all, we all know who was ultimately behind them. Then, for about a year, the, Erdogan played a double game. He seemed to be saying, you know, I'm still Assad's friend, but I think Assad needs to make massive concessions capitulate completely to what the protesters are saying, put his regime in effect in Damascus in a position where it can't function anymore, something which Assad never agreed to. And then in 2012, those protests morphed into an outright war and an attempt, an insurgency, a violent insurgency, trying to overthrow the Syrian government. And that insurgency was overwhelmingly based in Turkey, and it was carried out with the support of Turkey. In other words, Erdogan himself. And from that moment on, Erdogan's policy was to achieve regime change in Syria, to overthrow Assad. And in 2015, Erdogan publicly called for uh, the United States and the NATO powers to establish um, an air exclusion zone, over Syria, in other words, engage in a bombing campaign against Syria because that's what, you know, um, those sort of zones really mean. And, of course, the Russians intervened instead before that could happen. The US agreed to do it, but before they could put the, take the steps to in, carry it through, the Russians stepped in and uh, came to Assad's rescue. And from that moment on, it's been this incredibly complicated game. The Russians backing Assad, gradually building up their relationship with Erdogan, Erdogan becoming increasingly dis disillusioned by the Americans. He feels very let down by the Americans who clearly told him that if he backed their attempt at regime change in Syria, the United States would eventually launch some kind of air war against the Syrian military, and Erdogan thought at that time that you know, he'd be on the winning side and he'd pick up the pieces. And he was very, very angry that that didn't happen and that Turkey had become instead sucked into this war there. And then what's, I think, finally been the breaking point for him, and not just for him, but for many, many people in Turkey, has been American support for the Kurds, the various Kurdish groups in Syria that are both hostile to the Syrian government in Damascus, but are also supportive of Kurdish groups in Turkey who are hostile to Turkey as well, and who the Turkish authorities, including Erdogan, regard as terrorists. So that was, I think, the breaking point. And it gave, finally, Assad and Erdogan a commonality of interest. And it meant that uh, Erdogan, who knows that he can't sort out the problem of the Kurds by himself because the Kurds have the backing of the United States. The US military is located in their areas. He needs Assad's support. He needs the support of the Russians. And so he's been quietly forced to turn to them. And so we have this long, complicated dance, as you put it, which is exactly what it was, until we finally now reach this point 
where Erdogan is calling for a summit meeting and given the very public way in which he's done it and the way in which he said that Putin supports this idea of a summit and the Russians are confirming that Putin supports the idea of a summit, the Russians have welcomed Erdogan's statement, that suggests to me that the summit will take place very soon. And that will indeed be the end, the effective end, of the Syrian war, because it will mean that all the major players, the Syrians, the Russians and the Turks, are on the same side. The Arab states, the Gulf states, have distanced themselves from this war some time ago. They've all made up with Assad in one form or another. So that just leaves the United States and the Kurds isolated in northeastern Syria with the Russians, the Syrians, the Turks and all the others uh, combining against them. Yeah, but you're still going to have the American forces in Syria. I mean, I, I agree. Everything comes, I don't want to say everything comes to a conclusion. We, we start moving towards a conclusion, like even on the yes. ground, yes. a conclusion yes. to this and we're taking yes. a significant step to, to making Syria whole, but you're still left with with, with the, the Americans occupying Syrian territory. And Trump tried to resolve this. I mean, if we go back and remember Trump's presidency, he actually tried to get all of the troops out of, uh, of this area. But um, I, I believe, if, if I remember correctly, I believe he actually gave orders to either remove all the troops or to draw them down significantly but it was uh, his own, his own guys at uh, I forgot the name, I forgot the name of uh, of this guy that uh, ignored his orders, Absolutely. and uh, he, they told Trump, yeah, yeah, we'll decrease the troops, but but they actually did the opposite, and Absolutely. they did it behind his back. I, the, I forgot the names of all these actors. But, I was uh, went against the president's his, orders. This was actually a big story exactly. when, it, when it broke. It's a huge story. Yeah. It was a huge story. I mean, the straightforward, the military leadership in the Pentagon at that time simply defied a specific order, an express order they got from the President of the United States. Donald Trump, the Commander-in-Chief, ordered all American troops in Syria to be pulled out. And the Defence Secretary, I think it was General Mattis, but it might have been another one. <laughs> there were several. Uh, but the yeah, Defence Secretary... I think it was Mattis. And then he put in the other guy. And then he put in, yeah. like, for like eight days, he put in a different... Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it was Mattis. Then he put in someone else for like eight days. Absolutely. Yeah. But the point was, collectively, the military leadership in the Pentagon and, of course, the deep state organizations in Washington, they, they actively sabotaged, the, they, well, they didn't just sabotage, they went against the president's straightforward direct order. But you're absolutely right. And they are still there. And there's photographic evidence that they're actually reinforcing. I mean, I've seen photos of M777, how it's has been deployed. There's rumors that the U.S. is sending Bradley infantry fighting vehicles to the area. That They're doing that, of course, because... There's been lots of talk in recent weeks that the Turks might be preparing a ground offensive against the Kurds in this area. So the United States is reinforcing its troops and it's doing so in a way that's clearly intended to warn off the Turks and to show backing for the Kurds. And that is going to anger Erdogan even more. And I suspect is one reason why he's now publicly calling for this summit with Assad 
and Putin and why that summit is going to happen. Now, the point is, it's, you're quite right, it's not the end. I mean, if this meeting happens, if there's a reconciliation between Assad and Erdogan, um, it's not the end of the conflict in Syria. There's still the un unresolved problem uh, of the Kurds. But it is a major stepping stone towards the end of that conflict. It means that the person who has been, in some ways, Assad's most dangerous enemy, who has been Erdogan, will now have accepted that, Erdogan, uh, that Assad is there to stay. It means that all these jihadi groups that have been fighting in uh, Syria with Turkish support, well, they no longer will have that support. It means that gradually, step by step, we might start to see Syrian authority replaced across the whole of Syria outside these Kurdish areas. But of course, so long as the U US remains there, the conflict will not have ended fully. But one has to say this, those American troops would start to look very isolated. The Syrians, of course, are against them. The Turks, of course, are against them. The Iraqis don't like the fact that the um, American troops are there because Iraq has its own issues with its own Kurds and the government in Baghdad has been distancing itself from the US for some time. Iran, of course, is very hostile to the presence of all of those US troops. Jordan, further south, American ally, long-standing American ally, would not, I think, want to be drawn into this conflict. It's had historically a good relationship with Syria. It wasn't at all um, happy to be supporting the anti-Assad forces in Syria, which it was basically strong-armed into doing, and has a good relationship with Russia. So those troops in that sort of corridor, if you like, in eastern Syria would start to look increasingly isolated. And one has to wonder how sustainable that deployment continues to be. They have to be supplied by air predominantly or by road, going over territory controlled by others, the Iraqis, the Jordanians, who would be increasingly sceptical and perhaps ultimately straightforwardly hostile to this entire enterprise. So, yes, it's not the end, but it is the beginning of the end game. So you can see how those forces, those American forces in eastern Syria, they would probably not be able to sustain themselves there indefinitely. And provided the pressure from all the various sides, the Syrians, the Russians, the Turks, the Iranians, probably the Iraqis too, provided that pressure is maintained at some point, Eventually, they will have to go. Yeah, the uh, once again, it looks like the the big loser in all of this. The, the, the Americans are going, are going to definitely be isolated, and they're going to be in a really tough position. But it looks like the Kurds are going to be the uh, the big losers in all of this, unless unless the Kurds break from from the Americans and deal with Assad. Yeah, I mean, I, the Kurds that's are, their only way out of this, isn't it? Otherwise, Turkey's going to put the squeeze on them. Absolutely, that's entirely correct. The only thing I would say about the Kurds is that there are lots of them, and they will always be there. And, you know, one can imagine at some point that, you know, 
there'll be another change in the political geometry of the Middle East. It always happens. You know, this Middle East kaleidoscope shifts. Perhaps one day, perhaps under a better leadership, the Kurds will be able to make more progress than they have at the moment. Yes, they're going to suffer a terrible defeat. Relying on the United States has proved to be a disastrous mistake. The present Kurdish leadership has miscalculated all the way through. But, you know, they will remain. They will still be there. I'm not saying that one day they won't be able to pull back. But the big loser, the big immediate and probably permanent loser looks like the United States. And I say this because, of course, the whole point about the Syrian conflict, about overthrowing Assad, overthrowing previously Saddam Hussein, was to increase U.S. influence in this part of the Middle East. I mean, that was what all that rhetoric about the axis of evil, in which, by the way, both Iraq and Syria were parts of the axis of evil, you know, getting rid of, getting rid of all of those leaders. That was what it was supposed to be all about. And instead, and this is, again, the classic result of neocon wars, is that the U.S., has had to, well, run down its influence in Iraq. The government there is ultimately pretty hostile to it. And, of course, in Syria, the government has not only survived, but has probably, over time, been strengthened. Assad has emerged as the victor. Russian influence has increased. Iranian influence has increased. And Turkey has gone over to the other side. So, I mean, and these look like permanent changes to me. So, um, you know, it's the Americans who perhaps have also come out of the, as a big loser from this. And um, they've seen influ their influence and support for, for them right across the Middle East ebb away. I mean, even the Saudis are now acting in ways that suggest that they no longer see themselves as America's principal ally, that they don't value the relationship with the US anymore. And I'm going to say this again, I've said this many times, this is the result of what the neocons do. They come up with these very elaborate, complex plans, they're prepared to engage in regime change operations, in wars, all of those things. There's terrible suffering, horrible wars, but in the end, America far from winning out, ends up the loser. And that's how it's looking today in Syria. Yeah. All right. We will leave it there, thedurand.locals.com. And look for us on Rockfin as well, and also the Durand shop. 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.